Hey, miserable bitches. We are back with another episode of Misery Manor. My name is Cody. That's C-O-D-Y. My name is Autumn. That's A-U-T-U-M-N. And I'm Josh. My boyfriend, Josh. And before we get started, make sure you leave your manners at, at the, the door. door. to another episode yes you did not hear emily's name at the beginning of this and sadly she died no <laughs> <laughs> no um she we had some issues recording last week i said this on the patreon episode but i'll say it again um i went over to her house to record brought all the stuff we we're set up we we're ready to roll honey she had made us some good ass tacos and we didn't have the, um, or I forgot to bring the, um, microphone. So then I was like, I'll go back and get it. Well, on my way back, I had a flat tire. Mm. So the Lord, everybody was just, no, that wasn't in our, the Lord said, no, he said, no, he said, but I made you buy that insurance on those tires. So it didn't cost you anything to get it fixed. Right. (laughs) I just put air in it. Oh, I said air. I blew it through my mouth (laughs) like a balloon. But anyways, yes. So Emily's still great. I'm just in Dallas right now. And we just decided to go ahead and record one so that we didn't have to miss a whole, so that y'all didn't have to miss a week of an episode. And I was like, you know what? We're going to record with Josh. So Josh, he loves true crime, right? Obsessed. But he may be a little quiet and just don't mistake his quietness for boredom. He loves this stuff. He's a man of few words. I'm just introverted. Yeah. But we have Autumn, who's the opposite. I'm actually really introverted, just not around you. Are you really? Oh, because yeah. I bring it out of everybody. <laughs> I'm do. like, twerk them ass. Where are you? <laughs> um, but Autumn actually has a podcast, too. Hey, from the Heart Podcast. It's and what's it about? Mindset development and uh, wellness and manifestation. All, all that good things. stuff. All the things you need to get you through true crime, honestly. Truly. After you hear an episode and you're like, what the actual... <laughs> Then you need to go over to Autumn's and be like, you know what? Everything is fine. <laughs> Woo-sa, right? So, Ooh. and it's from the heart, H-A-R-T-T. Yeah. That's her last name. Booty heart. Booty fart. Yeah, it's bottom fart. Bottom fart. Bottom heart, bottom fart. That, there you go. Remember that. She's a gorgeous, gorgeous girl. Gorgeous, gorgeous girl. <laughs> um, I, ta- I actually have talked about you on a few episodes, so they might know who you are. And of course, y'all know Josh is my boyfriend. But, um, oh, so yeah, so um, I'm going to wait to do the Patreon shout out when I do the episode with Emily because one of them is her friend. But if you want to be a Patreon, we just did a Patreon episode over a lady or a 24-year-old. Well, that is a lady um, who went missing on a cruise ship. So we're going to upload that. So if you want to be a Patreon, just go to your Google search and type in Misery Manor Patreon or go to our Instagram at Misery Manor Podcast. And the link is in our bio. You don't want to miss it. We're going to send you some fun stuff in the mail. Mm -hmm. It's going to be good. So are y'all ready to get into this case? I'm so ready. So on today's episode of Misery Manor, we are going to be discussing Mary Bell. 
hate that name. Maribel. I actually knew a girl named Maribel. I think Mary my Beth. piano teacher was named Maribel, actually. Well, it ain't this girl. Because <laughs> she is 10 years old, and she was 10 when she brutally murdered two kids that were around, like, the same age um, in 1968. So Maribel, like I said, was only 10 years old when she strangled her first victim, who was a four-year-old, and left haunting confession notes for his family to discover. So only two short months later, Mary Bell mutilated and killed a three-year-old boy. Oh my gosh. So I'm sure you're thinking, what went wrong? What happened to her at such a young age? How is this 10-year-old capable of doing this? Well, this is her disturbing story. Mary Flora Bell, Mary Flora, that's a pretty name, was born May 26, 1957 in England to her mother, Betty McCricket, who was 16 years old at the time of her birth. Betty was a sex worker and reportedly told doctors, quote, get that thing away from me when she was born. Mm, charming. Regardless of the disappointment, Betty kept her young baby, but to say that she was loved and took care of Mary Bell would be a lie. So the identity of Mary's biological father is unknown, and for most of her life, Mary believed her father to be William, they called him Billy Bell, who was a violent alcoholic and criminal with an arrest record for crimes including armed robbery, assault, etc. However, she was a baby when William Bell married her mother, so it is unknown if he is her actual biological father. But that's who she grew up thinking it was. Good old Billy Bell. Good old Billy Bell. So from the time they left the hospital, things only went downhill from there. So Mary's mother, Betty, was often away from home, which she would call business trips to Glasgow. Because remember, she's a um, sex worker. So this might have actually worked in Mary's favor because Mary was subjected to horrible mental and physical abuse when her mother was at the house. So Mary probably actually liked when her mother was out of town. Mm -hmm. So one time, Betty, Betty's sister witnessed her trying to sell Mary to a mentally unstable woman who had been unsuccessful trying to adopt. So the lady happily was like, yes, I'll take her, grabbed Mary, and like off she went. Well, Betty's older sister, Catherine, found out what had happened and she freaked the fuck out. And she was like, absolutely not. So she gets in her car, traveled all the way across Newcastle to get Mary from this woman and return her back home. Oh, my Lord. So Mary was also strangely accident prone. It was reported by Betty, her mother, that she once, quote, fell from a window and that she, quote, accidentally overdosed on sleeping pills on another occasion. Now, nobody believe that they're like how did this toddler overdose on sleeping pills right. and she's like oh she got into mine but as you know the mom wasn't a big fan of her to begin with so they were like no i think you were abusing her yeah. but when betty was questioned she would say like quote i don't know how this happened she's so accident prone so according to later testimonies provided by Mary herself, her mother began to use her for sex work when she was only four years old. So Betty also uh, was a dominatrix. So Mary said that her mother began allowing and or encouraging several of her clients to sexually abuse Mary during the dominatrix sessions 
um, in like the mid 1960s when she was like, what, four years old. Her mother was making her participate with her. Oh my gosh. So to make matters worse around this time, Mary Bell became devastated when she witnessed her five-year-old best friend fall off of her bike and get ran over by a bus. And so she was later pronounced dead. So Mary's going through all this trauma with being mentally and physically oh. abused, you know, having to do all these things with older men. Oh and then she sees her best friend get Literally. ran over by a bus. So given everything that Mary had grown up, um, grown up seeing, hearing and witnessing, it was no surprise by that by age 10, Mary had become quite a strange child. She was withdrawn from everybody. She was very manipulative. She was always getting into some sort of like violent outburst, um, both at home and at school. So Mary exhibited numerous signs of disturbed behavior, inclu including sudden moon swings and chronic bedwetting, which is typically, I don't know if y'all know this, but mm. uh, bedwetting at an early age is typically a sign of sexual abuse, abuse yeah. or abuse in general. So Mary was known to have frequent, uh, frequently fought with other children, both boys and girls, and always took things way too far while playing. You know, they'd be like, you know, kids wrestle, but she's like the one that's like choking them out. Right. And they're like, whoa, yeah. I just wanted to play with your doll. And she's like, give me your neck, bitch. Right. <laughs> um, I don't know if she said that, so don't quote me. <laughs> but um, Mary, on many occasions, attempted to strangle or suffocate her classmates. In one scenario, Mary attempted to block the trachea of a young girl by pushing and forcing sand down her throat. Oh, my gosh. That reminds me of that. That Well, that's horrible. But do you remember that challenge where you take a oh spoonful of, what was it, cinnamon? cinnamon? <laughs> and you can't breathe? Yeah. Okay, imagine sand. Have you seen Glowzell? Yes, yeah, so <laughs> the big cloud comes out. Okay, so imagine that. I've actually face-planted into sand when I was little, and my lip got caught into my teeth. Oh, my gosh. And, oh, no, I got hit in the face with a football. I didn't fall. <laughs> I tried to catch it and the football went right through my hands and hit. And so that really has nothing to do with this, but oh, well. <laughs> LOL for sure. So obviously word of Mary's behavior spread amongst the school. They're like, watch out for that girl. She's crazy. So Mary's violent behavior made many children reluctant to want to socialize her in any sort of capacity. The kids were not only scared of her, but they thought she was very strange. They're like, not only is she scary, but like, she's fucking weird. We don't want to be her friend. Um, but Mary was not always alone. She would frequently spend her free time with 13-year-old Norma Joyce, who was her neighbor and her best friend. So according to one classmate, um, and they went to a school called Delaval Road Junior School. So in 1968, she and her classmates had become accustomed to the sudden changes in Mary's behavior when she was upset. So the classmate went on to say that Mary had very distressful mannerisms that would come out, including shaking her head, forming a gaze, and becoming very laser-focused on the individual that she was about to attack. So they knew that it was about to come. So the classmates at the school knew that this was a warning sign. Therefore, they were instructed to go get a teacher before it turned too violent. So at least she gave a notice, right? Okay, I definitely would not be having my kids in public no, school, I'd be like, that's for sure. Right. So for weeks before her first murder, Mary Bell had began acting, well, I said strangely, but even more strange. So to start on May 11, 1968, Mary had been playing with a three-year-old boy when he was badly injured in a fall from the top of an air raid shelter. 
His parents thought that it was an accident, but in reality, Mary had convinced this young boy to climb to the top, and once he was up there, she pushed him off the top of the building. It was only seven feet. I don't know what an air raid shelter is. But for a three-year-old, yeah. that's, right, that's double his height. Um, so when the police found this boy, he had a huge cut on his head. He was bleeding, and he told the police that he was simply playing with Norma and Mary. And then after, before he knew it, they had pushed him off the top and left him. And he was, like, crying when they found him. He was, like, wandering in the streets. Aww. So the following day, three mothers came forward and told police. They were like, quote, Mary Bell and Norma try to choke our daughters while playing in the sand pit. They are violent. You need to speak to them. So they brought Mary and Norma into the station and questioned them. They're like, did you do this? Did you do this to these kids? And Mary denied any knowledge of the incident. She was like, what? What are you talking about? That was not me. I didn't do that. However, Norma admitted to the police that Mary had, quote, tried to throttle each of the girls. None, what is throttle? Oh, like shake, shake up. Like violently strangle shake. <gasps> like you throttle somebody. Yeah. It's not just choking, but it's shaking them. Vicious choking. So Norma told the police, quote, Mary went to one of the girls and said, what happens if you choke someone? Do they die? Then Mary put both hands around the girl's throat and squeezed. The girl started to go purple. I told Mary to stop, but she wouldn't. Then she put her hands around Pauline's throat and she started going purple as well. Another girl, Susan Cornish, came up and Mary did the same thing to her. All three of them. What, were they just standing in line waiting to what? get choked? I uh, know. And Mary's 10. Like, that is... How old are these girls? I'm assuming around the same age, but still, to go purple, that is some, like... Yeah. With your little bitty 10-year-old hands... Anyways, so police notified the local authority of the incidents um, and of Mary's violent nature. But due to their age, they both were simply given a warning, a lecture, and just sent home. They're like, don't do it again. At this time, no further action was taken. So Mary Bell's violence only proceeded to get worse from there. So on May 25th, the day before she turned 11, Mary Bell strangled four-year-old Martin Brown to death in an abandoned house in Scottswood, England. So Mary left Martin's dead body on the ground and left the scene. A local workman named John Hall soon arrived to the scene and he attempted to perform CPR on the young boy, but it was too late. So as he attempted CPR, 10-year-old Mary Bell and 13-year-old Norma appeared at the doorway of the bedroom. They had come, they had come back. Both were quickly shooed out uh, of the house by John, who did not want them to see what had happened to this young boy. Little did he know, they were the killers. So Mary and Norma left the scene and went over to Martin's aunt's house. Her name's Rita Finley. So the two girls knocked on the door, and when she answered, they informed her. They said, quote, one of your sister's children just had an accident. We think it's Martin, but we can't tell because there's blood all over him. And they walked away, telling the aunt that, knowing damn well that they had just killed him. So besides a bit of blood and saliva on the victim's face, there was no apparent sign of violence. Police did discover an empty bottle of painkillers on the floor near the body, but that was about it. So without further clues, police assumed that Martin Brown had swallowed the pills. Therefore, they ruled his death an accident. Ugh. So this part is wild. So days after Martin's death, Mary Bell went to the home of Martin, where he lived. She knocked on the Brown's doorstep and asked to see him. She said, quote, can I see Martin, please? 
sobbing, Martin's mother was like, oh, honey, I am so sorry. Martin passed away a few days ago. And Mary Bell said, oh, I know. I just want to see his dead body in that coffin. And she was furious and disgusted. She slammed the door shut in front of her face. and was like, get out. Wait, so they ruled it an accident, but did he not have like? That's what I'm saying. But I guess because she's so little. Yeah, but he's a like for you to die. I know, but I bet she did give him pain pills, and she and he might have passed out, and then she just just kind of took the the edge off. I guess I don't know, but I thought that too, right? So shortly after, oh wait. Oh, yeah. So shortly after the incident, Mary and her friend Norma broke into a nursery school, destroying it by tearing books, upturning desks. They smeared ink and paint all over the walls. Before leaving, Norma and Mary left notes all over the place, taking responsibility and owning up to the death of Martin Brown and promising to kill again. So some of the notes read, I murder so that I may come back. Another read, we did murder Martin Brown. Fuck off, you bastard. And a third note read, and I don't like this word in here, but I'm going to use it because they said it. Fuck off. We murder. You better watch out, Fanny and faggot. So I don't know if Fanny was a... And honestly, the word, like, I'll show you pictures of the... the, um... Do they sign their names or anything? No. Okay. So, but they're, I guess they're like leaving clues as to who, who could have done it. But, um, the writing is so horrible and like a lot of it doesn't make sense, but they're 10 years old, you know, it just looks like a typical kid writing it. So like what I said, is not actually a quote. It's what they were trying to say. Cause some of the words that they were using was just gibberish. So when the police found this out, they assumed the notes were some sort of sick and twisted prank and did nothing about it. They're like, Oh my God, the kids, they're joking. Like. You know, they're just well, doing a sick they probably prank. just like don't think that they would rather just kid. roll it a suicide and just be done right. with it. So several nights later, both Mary and Norma were caught at the same school again. But when police arrived on the scene, they were just let off the hook and told to run home. So as this is all happening, Mary was yell- uh, telling her fellow classmates, I did kill Martin Brown. I am the one that strangled him. Like she's telling, she's going around telling all these people bragging about it. She has no shame in her game, honey. However, Mary and the reputation of being a liar. So none of the students took her claim seriously. They were like, no, she lies about everything. There's no way that she's doing this. Like, so they just brushed it off. That is until the corpse of another young boy turned up dead. On July 31st, two months after the first murder, Mary Bell and her friend Norma killed three-year-old Brian Howe by strangulation. They left strangulation. This time, Mary Bell took it a step further and mutilated the body with scissors, scratching his thighs and butchering his penis, nearly cutting it off. So when Brian's sister was concerned for Brian's whereabouts, she went looking for him. Mary and Norma went up to her and said, what are you doing? She said, I'm looking for Brian. Have you seen him? He was supposed to be home by now. I saw him playing with y'all earlier. Where is he? The two girls said, we'll help you look for him. No worries. 
So together, the three of them searched the neighborhood high and low, and Mary even said, look over there, and pointed to the concrete blocks that actually hid his body. So she's like wanting to get caught. However, Norma quickly replied, no, 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 no. Brian would never go over there. He said he didn't want to go over there. He wouldn't be over there. So Brian's sister listened to Norma, and they didn't go over there. So when Brian's body was eventually found, the neighborhood went into complete panic. Two little boys were now dead in such a short period of time. Police decided to interview local children to see if they could get some sort of clue or answers as to what might have happened. So when the coroner's report returned, everyone was thrown for a loop. Once Brian's blood had been cooled, new marks appeared on his chest. Come to find out, the person who murdered him had carved with the razor blade, the letter M onto his torso. M for Mary. Oh, gosh. It was also revealed that the lack of force in the attack suggested that Brian's killer might have been a child. So Mary and Norma did a poor job of disguising their involvement with the murder when they were interviewed by the police. Norma was excited, and Mary just avoided answering questions, especially when the police were like, Mary, we saw that you were with Brian the day of this murder. Can you explain that to us and she would just ignore to add on the day of brian's funeral mary was spotted outside of his house and when she caught glimpse of brian in the coffin she laughed out loud and rubbed her hands together as if she was satisfied Ew. so given this information they called mary back into the police station for a second interview to see what else they could get out of her mary could sense that the investigators were closing in on her so she was prepared with the made-up story. She told them, quote, Yes, I was with Brian the day of his murder, but I saw a young boy, about eight years old, hit Brian in the head. Oh, oh, and he was carrying a broken pair of scissors with him. Mary also said, I saw him trying to cut a cat's tail off with the scissors, but there was something wrong with them. One leg was broken or bent. However, the story could be believable to some point, but that... Uh, but that story was Mary Bell's big mistake, right? Because the story did sound legit. Because the mutilation of Brian's body with the scissors had been kept a secret from the public, so nobody knew. So by her coming forth saying that, they were like, you did it. Because nobody else knows that that's what we found. Um, yeah, so it was a detail that they had kept in themselves because they knew somebody. That happens all the time, right? Really, so she somehow sure. knew... The yeah. exact murder weapon, mm -hmm. even to the detail that it was busted. Right. Because she allegedly saw it in the hands of some other kid. Exactly. So the police were like, boom, we got our girl. However, they continue to ask Norman Mary questions just to get see what else they could get out of them. So eventually the stress was too much and both Norma and Mary broke down under questioning. Norma um, began cooperating with police and told them Mary was involved in the murder. Mary then admitted to being present during... Brian Howe's murder, but tried to place the blame on Norma. She was like, no, I was there, yes, but Norma was the one that killed him. I was just there watching. The girls were going back and forth, but the police had already made up their mind, and the both of the girls were charged. Mary replied, well, that's all right by me, after they told her you're being arrested. She said, quote, that's all right by me. What a little brat. However, Norma burst into tears shouting, I never, I'll pay you back for this. So that was her quote. At the trial, the prosecutor told the court that Mary's reason for committing the murders was, quote, solely for the pleasure and excitement of killing. However, the British press painted a different picture for Mary and referred to her as, quote, evil born. 
which that's a little that's horrible um given like the... evil conditioning right i mean well yeah there's a reason why she's killing men because she was sexually molested her whole life she mutilates genitals yeah because she was sexually molested her whole life and also yeah. what 10 year old knows to say all the like bat like all the like the word that she's using and the things that she's saying yeah, is like she she's, learned that she learned it she didn't learn a value of life because her mom tried to kill her herself yeah. right so the jury agreed that Mary Bell had committed the murders and handed down a guilty verdict in December of that year. So manslaughter, not murder, was the conviction as court psychiatrists had convinced the jury that Mary Bell showed, quote, classic symptoms of psychopathy. And at the end of the day, could not be held fully responsible for her actions given her upbringing. So shockingly, Norma Bell was regarded as an unwilling accomplice who had simply just listened to her bad influence of a friend. Therefore, Norma Bell was acquitted. So she served no time at all. Which I'm like, that's kind of not fair. Like, you're still there. Yeah. You could have stopped it. You were there with her. You may have not strangled it, but you were there. Or and you, you could have at least told someone, you know. And you could have stopped it. But I think the age also had a lot to play. Oh, they're so impressionable at that age. Right. And if someone's a master manipulator at that age because of the abuse they've suffered, then, right. you know, there's no telling what you can get someone else to do. Right. So Norma had to serve no time. So upon hearing the jury's verdicts, Norma clapped her hands in excitement, which so sweet but also hmm. whereas Mary burst into tears as her mother and grandmother also cried hysterically. Oh, now the mother wants oh, to cry. Oh, yeah, right. She goes, Oh, I guess you I didn't want this. her. You didn't want her from, <laughs> she's probably crying like hallelujah. Take her. <laughs> Finally. So the judge concluded that Mary was a dangerous person and a serious threat to other children. She was sentenced to be imprisoned at quote, I quote at her majesty's pleasure which, if you remember, is the same place that the two boys from episode 69 were sentenced. The ones that killed the little boy, James yeah. Bulger. So, however, after only serving 12 years, Mary Bell was released from prison in 1980. Mary was released How on... How many years did she serve? 12. Oh. Making her what? 22. So, Mary was released on license, which basically meant that she was technically still serving her sentence, but she was able to do so while living in the community just under strict probation. So due to the public hate towards her, Mary Bell was given a new identity to provide her with a chance at a new life and protect her from the media and tabloid attention, which I do want to say while she was in prison, she was a very good, she went to school, she learned how to do things on her own. So I'll give her that. So with this new identity though, um, and kind of playing low, she was forced to move several times to escape the tabloids, the newspapers, and just the general public because so many people were so mad at her, what oh, she could have done. Yeah. They were just waiting for her to do something to her. Why does this remind me of the one, the mom that killed her daughter? I know, but Casey with, Anthony. Casey Anthony. Oh, yeah. I was thinking of a different one. But yes, Casey Anthony. Ew, hate her. Um, but they always found ways to track her down. So Mary Bell went on to have a daughter. However, her daughter didn't know about her mother's crimes until she was 14. Oh. <laughs> to make matters worse, a tabloid paper found Mary's common-law husband and journalist and tracked them both down. Soon, a horde of journalists surrounded her house and camped out in front of it, waiting for the perfect moment to bombard the family and get the questions and answers that they that they wanted right they had some so because so many of these people still were left with like why did you do it you know right but um yeah so the family had to escape their home with bed sheets over their heads and the journalists 
were not able to get. So they like snuck out the back with like sheets over their head and got in a car and took off. So today, Mary is in protective custody at a secret address that is essentially unknown to anyone. Both she and her daughter remain anonymous and are protected under court order. June Richardson, who is the mother of Martin Brown, told the media, quote, It's all about her and how she has to be protected. As victims, we are not given the same rights as killers. Yeah. So, also, I just realized I've been doing a lot of um, killer kids here recently. I'm here for it. I'm not, because now I'm going to go to the elementary school and be like, what you got in that brain? You know, it's really fascinating to me because that's what I really wanted to do growing up. Because my dad's a, a oh, work with kids, a psychologist, mm-hmm. um, and a psychiatrist. And he, whenever he first started, he worked in a mental hospital with kids. And he told me this story about this, um, these kids, like special needs kids. They like attacked <laughs> their teacher with like a knife or like a pair of scissors or something and she survived but like they literally like brutally attacked her like these kids all like planned together I oh was my like, god how wow horde of kids just yeah coming out. i like children of the corn right <laughs> when i was in college i worked in this after school program with kids and i was assigned at kindergarten and i loved the kids and the kids were great but you know we had a few that i needed extra loving well, we had this one kid and obviously he was suffering from severe, I think he had like schizophrenia and all sorts of stuff, but it was so crazy because he would be so sweet. And then all of a sudden something would switch and he would just turn, you could just see in his eyes, something was like a light bulb. Right. Well, he would take scissors and break them, hide them in his pocket. And then on the playground, he would hide them under the sawdust. And then when he wanted them, he knew where he hid them and he would take them out and like chase the oh kids. And I'm like, no. And, you know, I'm just like this high school kid. I'm just trying to make some money so I can go out. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, it was so much for me. So we had to kick him out because, like, we're not qualified. He had a future Mary Bell on his hand. I know. And he would take his clothes off and shove his clothes underneath the door. Like, because, you know, they had like a, he would shove him and he would be screaming. And then he would go in there and he would be like, why do I not have clothes on? Like, it was, like, so crazy because he was, oh like, gosh. apparently dealing with, like, multiple personalities. Well, yeah, I was about to say, like, kids that experience. My mom had this friend um, growing up who experienced really, really insane trauma. And mm-hmm. she developed multiple, multiple yes. personalities. They do that so that they could yeah. kind of get away from. Right. I, I saw that on the show where this lady who. Sybil. Felt, I don't know which one it is, but she. She has, like, 23 personalities. Yes. Sybil. You know what's funny about yeah. Sybil? I mean, there's nothing funny about Sybil, but my <laughs> grandmother, my, my great grandmother was a nanny for Sybil. <gasps> really? So when they were writing the book, that author was writing the book. I forget what that book is called about Sybil's life. Right. My great grandma was interviewed. <laughs> well, she was interviewed for it because she oh had a lot gosh, of experience with wild. Sybil. You know, my mom told me about one of the personalities. Okay. And I don't know if this is true or not, but she said, and I, I've heard this one more time in one of my sociology classes that when she switched to one of her personalities, her eyes changed colors. Oh my God. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. And I think it was Sybil or if we're thinking of the same girl, one of her personalities was lesbian Mm -hmm. and she would go on dates with women and then she would, but like her, (laughs) but like her, not like her actual, you know, not one of her, her personalities, like her real self was not a lesbian. And she was like, gosh, like, it kind of, kind of not grosses me out, but it's just weird to think, right. you know, like. You it, need to do an episode on that one 
serial killer with multiple personalities. Which one? I forget his name. We'll look it, look it up. That sounds interesting. It's so good. Because you'd be like, no, Autumn did it, not it me. It just so many, too. Yeah. See, that's where it gets sad, because if you're actually dealing with that... and you... But it's like he's, he was lying about a lot of them. Oh, to, like, get... Like, maybe... who knows, because he's just Insane. unhinged. So, Mary Bell, she's 11 years old, mm -hmm. right? When she's in prison, she's in prison until she's 20? She's was... 12 years. 22. Oh, so 22, 23. It, that's difficult because you know she is only 11 years old and was severely yeah traumatized that's why i don't think she should have had life i mean i'm glad she didn't have life. look here's a picture of her and i'll upload these on our instagram but look how beautiful yeah wow but i mean i can understand why she would get the privilege of look, starting over and then see that's her little eye murder so that i may come back so like those are the little notes that she would write huh. wow so i mean and if you think about it her mom was a child when she had Mary. She was 16 right. years old. Mm -hmm. So it's just an unfortunate situation. It's sad for Mary's upbringing, but it's also sad for the ones this that lost like their life. a good thing to keep in mind. Like, if, especially, I mean, I know teachers probably know this, but like, if you see a kid that's acting out and that is distressed, like, don't just chalk it up to like, oh, they just have a bad attitude or, oh, they're just whatever. Like, kids act out because they're abused. Like, yeah. kids that... Or, you know, they have something. And you never know what they have to go home to. Right. And like, oh my God, I saw this thing. And it was like, when you see the kid that is like dirty, smells bad, mm -hmm. don't make fun of them. Right. You don't know what they're going home to. Like, I remember there would be kids that smelled like cigarette smoke and we would make fun of them. But like, obviously they're not smoking the cigarettes. They're just in a house full of, right. you don't know what they're going back home to. There's this girl I went to high school with. I was actually like, not super good friends with this girl. I really wouldn't hang out with her that much, but we were friends in school and she was kind of just always didn't really have like the nicest stuff, like lower income family. And, um, she got bullied really bad and she ended up getting murdered <laughs> by her baby daddy, like oh. a couple of years ago. And oh just, my God. Yeah. Right. That's horrible. I know it's so terrible. There's a book about Mary Bell. Some an author wrote about it. If they want to read, learn more, it's called "Cries Unheard: Why Children Kill: The Story of Mary Bell." Oh, wow! I should have done a whole like month segment over. So my original idea—we're just rambling at this point. My original idea for February was to do killer couples. Yeah, Wouldn't that have been so I cute? That, yeah. But also did so. I was with you when I said that. I think right. I was just listening to it in your last episode. For oh, but here. I think you were with me here one time when oh, I. We were I think we thought it. about that idea, but um, I've been doing a lot of kids recently. <laughs> I think the kids are so interesting. Yeah, because it's like when I think back on my childhood. I mean, it's still not. A, I didn't even really know murder you know like it right i knew people die but like the stuff that i know i was so obsessed with like scary okay you know the first horror movie i remember watching was um halloween five which is the one where he's like chasing the little like special needs girl oh yeah so i just find oh. it like and then like for years i i went to college for four years and i basically only took sociology criminology mm. and like psychology classes because i didn't like other, any other classes but all the case studies about children were my favorite yeah. i found them so fascinating it is crazy and because you know they're like mary bell there's no way that her brain was developed by that no, point, right? right um but i like looking at like the way that their mind thinks right and like the how much trauma has effect on the brain 
Mm-hmm. Poor baby. Poor baby. Um, what was I gonna say? Probably nothing. <laughs> that Mexican food's hit me. Man. <laughs> I know you're gurgling. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm like, oh shit, come out the mouth. Not Keep the waiting point. for you to barf. <laughs> <laughs> Just throw up all over the place. Well, thank y'all both for being yeah, on the show today. My dream come true. Yes, we'll have to do more. Next time we'll get Emily here and we'll all just sit in the closet and just talk shit. Just <laughs> talk shit. No, we'll do some crime. We'll turn up the lights and Ooh, make it creepy. Oh my gosh, flashlights. Flashlight campfire. Josh doesn't like scary. He see that face, he's scared. <laughs> Not a fan. Not a fan. Was, you like true crime, but you don't like scary stuff? Yeah, you know what's really funny is I don't like ghost stories or like. But I do love like genuine haunted houses. Yeah. Not a fake haunted house. I won't go in there. But if it's a real haunted house, I'm like, let's go investigate. Yeah. Like he likes that. So like that's more scary than like haunted houses to me. I know. (laughs) I'm weird. Yeah. But thanks for coming. This was fun. Thank you. Good. Well, does that mean you'll be back? I'll be back as a listener. Thank you. I might do it again. (laughs) Maybe you can do a story. If Emily is not available. You're like, please be available. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of your weekend. Actually, this will be uploaded on Sunday. So I hope you had a great weekend. Bye. Bye. Say bye. Oh, bye. (laughs)